if you need data center space in the next couple of years, plan for that today, sign for it today, even if you're not going to need it for the next couple of years, because otherwise when it all comes online, it's going to be consumed, it's going to be gone. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. Meeting Porter de Leon. What unique point of view do data center providers have when it comes to the future trends in technology? From sustainability to AI to the future of our careers. In this episode, I sit down with Missy Young, the CIO of Switch. Switch is an innovator in the data center industry. Their services are 100% renewable. They have a perfect uptime record. They will soon be net water positive. Missy sits at the intersection of big tech, renewable energy, and AI, giving her unique visibility into the future. She's able to observe what workload capacity is being bought up years into the future. She's helped chart a path to enable those workloads to be run on clean energy, and she's been able to help others benefit from those insights. Throughout, we discuss the work being done at Switch and what CIOs need to think about regarding data center capacity in the world of what she calls the new AI gold rush. So, Miss, you're in a really unique position because you operate this incredibly sustainable, amazing data center or set of data center footprints across a, a large geographic area, and there's a lot of different consumers of your resources. Give us a sense of just the scale. You don't have to name all the logos, but what's the scale of the type of service you're providing and who you're providing it to? Okay. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, <laughs> I would be able to actually name almost all the logos, but it takes me a good amount of time to do so. So I don't think we have time for that. Yeah, the whole, we don't need the whole list. We're like, just give us a scale, of like some of the ones that would probably resonate with some of the listeners. Yeah. So we have anything from tiny startups all the way up to Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Disney, Dell, FedEx, HP, Qualcomm, NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah, so a few, so on, a yeah. few big ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And you're providing uptime, yes. right? That's like the core service. That's essentially what they're pr- buying from us is that mission-critical uptime, which has become just so critically, foundationally important to every company out there because outages are getting longer and they're getting more expensive when they do happen. Yeah, and why aren't people doing it themselves or why shouldn't they do it themselves? Are people realizing that maybe that's not what their business model is? Well, they're kind of realizing that if I'm not an expert at designing, building and operating data centers, why am I trying to play in that space? And the reason is, you know, if I have to have open heart surgery, I'm not going to watch a YouTube video and try to do it myself. I'm going to outsource. (laughs) Probably, you know, Missy, I think that's probably good advice if you're doing open heart surgery. You might want to get someone else to do that. Yeah, outsource it to an expert. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really what the data center industry is now. It's become, you know, we're really massaging the heartbeat of our companies that run there because we have to keep them on all the time. If you want to pay for something using PayPal, PayPal's working because it runs at Switch. That's fabulous. And so I like the, the word you use, foundation. Like the uptime is foundational to everything. But that's not all you're providing when you provide your services. It's not just full uptime, which is, of course is amazing. And I think you, you described it once as, you know, that's why we're so paranoid is because we're, you have 100% uptime. Switch has a perfect uptime record. We've never had a single client experience, even a nanosecond of an outage in any of our facilities since the day the company was founded. So part of our job is to constantly think about what's the worst thing that could happen in any particular scenario and then plan for that. And that's what we do all the time because building and operating data centers is our business. That is our expertise. We are the experts. And at Switch as the CIO, what's what's unique about your role? Well, I'm super blessed in that I work for an incredibly brilliant CEO. His name is Rob Roy, and he is constantly inventing. He has over 700 patents and patent pending claims. 
And that's a lot. Yeah, it really <laughs> is for one guy. Yeah, it's a lot. And, and is that just is that just all data center related, or is there other stuff? In- well, those patents are all data center related, but he also has his own clothing line, his own furniture line. Like the guy's just wow. a constantly <laughs> creating. He's constantly creating and inventing. So never a dull moment. And luckily, he's just a really good human being. So the work dynamic in our culture has always been just nothing short of awesome. And I've been with the company now. I'm on my 19th year at Switch. Wow, that's amazing. So with all those patents, I think. It's no surprise that you're doing more than just providing 100% uptime. Just give us a sense, too, of what, what are the other things, what are the other reasons that, uh, what are the other value, I think, really is what customers get when they're working with Switch? Sure. So uptime has a lot of components that go into that, right? So what we are building are these fortresses that are also the highest density data centers in the world, meaning we can run the most aggressive AI deployments out there. This is why we have clients like NVIDIA and Qualcomm and so on. So because of Rob's inventions, we can deliver these patented solutions for data center infrastructure that allow us to empower our customers to achieve all of those high density workloads that they need to do. So that's one thing. That's one really cool part of it. The other really cool part of it is that all of our customers are members of a buying cooperative that has become the largest auditing and telecom purchasing cooperative in the world. We actually represent a little over $7 trillion of market cap with this cooperative. And how does that, how did that end up working out? Like, Bringing data center and the telco cooperative together, what, why, how did that come about? So it's a really cool story. So right after Rob started Switch, he actually started Switch with his own money by himself in the northeast side of Las Vegas. Just went into data centers. Well, so, his I, background, <laughs> his back, he has a very interesting background of a combination of construction and technology. So you put those together, you get data centers, right? So he decided to start a data center company, and he found an area in Las Vegas where there was a ton of connectivity being built into this one building. But he couldn't find out what it was about. It was very secret. But he decided to build his data center, his new one, half a block away because I need to be where all the connectivity is, right? Very smart. So then the dot-com industry fell to its death, right? This was in the early 2000s, like right after he started his company. And then he was driving past that facility one day and saw that there were two guys standing outside of it with the door propped open. And so Rob pulled into the parking lot and rolled down the window and said, hey guys, what, what is this building? And they said, oh, it's the Enron Broadband Services Gateway. Oh, wow. We're here to put it up for auction. Would you like to see it? <laughs> and he said, well, yes, I would. <laughs> so he went and took a tour of it and was just blown away by the fact that there were 27 national telecommunications carriers in there with their actual national backbones live and running in this one data center. So Enron had had this, Enron Broadband Services had had this idea that they were going to change the internet. They wanted to use their energy trading algorithms to trade bandwidth and peering amongst all of the carriers. It would have been very ethereal, very difficult to track, typical Enron. Mm-hmm. But at the time when they built it, Enron was a $60 billion company that could do no wrong as far as we all knew, right? And at the same time, during the dot-com craze, all the carriers are spending billions of dollars building out their networks without a single thought for tomorrow. So 27 carriers jumped on the bandwagon. And then shortly after, Enron imploded So this data center with 27 national carriers live on net in that building went up for auction. So Rob started bidding on it. Nine months later, he found out he was still, on the last day, he was still the only bidder. Wow. So he dropped his price by about 90%. And they called him from New York and said, hey, don't you still want it? And he said, well, am I still the only bidder? And they said, yeah. He said, then that's my price. (laughs) So he walked away with the Enron Broadband Services Gateway for just under $1 million. Wow. Yeah. And and then that started Switch. Well, no, he had already started Switch. Oh, he started Switch. Yeah, he had already started Switch with his first data center about half a block away. 
So he had a very different idea for what to do with this. So he formed a cooperative with all of our clients and said, you know, if we all buy connectivity together, we have much more buying power than if we buy it just alone. And he had already told all the carriers, hey, I'm going to honor exactly what you agreed to with Enron, but I want you to give my data center clients the lowest prices in the world. And they said, oh, okay, no problem, because he's just a small, tiny little data center company at the time. So we have these global wholesale agreements with the carriers, and we represent $7 trillion worth of buying power out to the world. And so we are able to, through the cooperative, purchase telecom for our customers at prices that they would not be able to get on their own, especially if they're a small to medium-sized business. They would have no buying power, but together they have the same buying power as the combination of Google, Amazon, and Microsoft combined. Wow. Wow. So our goal is with that, when we do a telecom audit for a client, is our goal is to save them more money, to put more money back in their budget than they actually pay us for the data center project. And we don't say, hey, you get to be part of our cooperative and we'll try to save money for you. And in return, you have to use our crappy tier two data center. No, in return, you're going to use the world's best data centers with 100% perfect uptime running on 100% clean energy. And let's talk about that too. So that is an amazing story too. So incredible dimension, incredible value. And on top of all that, 100% uptime, that cooperative telecom buying power. You also are 100% renewable. Correct. How do you do that? So we have been 100% renewable since 2016. Rob put a stake in the sand many years ago saying that we were going to be powered by 100% clean energy. And then we had to fight a very long battle with the local utility here in Nevada to get out from underneath their thumb because they are a legal monopoly here in the state. They're called NV Energy. And so after this long battle to get out from underneath their thumb, we essentially had to write them a $27 million check just so that we could stop paying them. But it was totally worth it because we were able to start buying directly from all of the clean and renewable energy providers in Southern Nevada. And we also were able to cut our prices almost in half, which of course translated to our clients as well. So a lot of people think it costs you way more to go green. No, no, not necessarily. That's not true. It depends on how you do it. But when you have a middleman who is buying the energy for you and then marking it up 80% and selling it to you, then yes, it's going to cost more. But if you can buy direct, you're going to get a much better bang for your buck. That's fabulous. And where directly where are you buying? Is it wind? Is it solar? What is it? It's a combination. So here in Nevada, of course, there's a lot of sun, right? So we've got a lot of solar power. There's wind. There's actually nine dams in Nevada that generate power. And Nevada is also number two in the nation for geothermal energy, or at least it used to be. I'm not sure if Hawaii, well, Hawaii is definitely always number one, but I think Nevada is either two or three at this time. But so there's a lot of different sources. And so like you can imagine in Michigan, a lot of the power that we buy is wind, right? So it just depends on where we are. And was that always a forethought when he was first starting, when like Switch was first going, we're always going to be sustainable, always going to be renewable, or was there a different vision to start? No, he's always had that vision. Yeah, he has always had a vision for 100% sustainability. He's always been focused on diversity and inclusion. I mean, Switch's executive team is 50% female for the longest time, and we didn't have to get there. We were already there. And he always made sure that all women were paid equally as men for the same job. I mean, it was just, it's not been something that Switch has had to figure out along the way. We've always been that way because of his vision, because of the kind of company he wanted to have. It's a little crazy that that's unique. It shouldn't be unique. It should be ubiquitous, but it's fantastic that Switch is the company that it is, and it's and it's great that more companies are doing that. And so, in addition to all the different pieces where you've got you've got the uptime, you got the telecom, you got the 100% renewable, and there's going to be water positive. 
yes. is coming next. Yep, net water positive is coming. We are building a water reclamation plant up in northern Nevada that will take what this effluent water that's filled with nitrates was previously being dumped into the beautiful Truckee River. If you've ever been in the Tahoe area, you've seen the Truckee River. It's absolutely it gorgeous. gorgeous. Especially if you see the wintertime. Yes, yes. But they were these different plants were dumping the nitrates into the river. So instead, we're having this effluent water redirected to our water reclamation plant at our campus up in northern Nevada, which will treat the water and allow us to use it in our mechanical cooling systems. So it will actually help to restore the Truckee to its original state. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's such a, it's 4,000 acre feet of effluent water. I mean, it's a lot of water. And so it will make our entire company net water positive yeah, and, and therefore our clients as well for yeah, the deployments that they have in our site. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going to ask too, because now the customers are getting the benefit of the fact that you're doing all this now. They go into your data center, they leverage you know, your services, and now they're getting that as part of their portfolio. And now they're greener the more that they work with you. That's what's, right. the, what's the trend of the customers and how, what's the response the industry is having to all the things that you're doing? Well, there's, of course, such a, such a huge focus on ESG. Everyone's concerned about their ESG scores because their customers care about it and their investors certainly care about it. There's a oh, lot yeah. of investors out there who will not touch your company if you don't have good ESG scores. BlackRock so, has some things to say about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so every customer that has a server deployment at Switch, you know, every single kilowatt that they run, they get a sustainability certificate that asserts that that server is running on a zero carbon footprint. So the larger the deployment, the larger the impact that has on their own ESG reporting. Whatever sustainability measures we're taking at Switch, it absolutely translates directly back to our clients because they get to claim the same thing. Yeah. And so there's a lot of demand, I would imagine, for what you're doing. So what are you seeing as some of the constraints and some of the things you're you're not able to provide maybe some of the services as fast as people are consuming? <laughs> what's what's the story with, Ooh, with that? Well, so AI, of course, is coming <laughs> AI, for yes. us all, right? This gold rush of AI that's going on right now, everyone talks about all the wonderful things AI is doing and how they're they're using it for this or that, and it's going to improve medicine and all of this. That's great. It's awesome. But it all has to run somewhere. Like yes. these are physical devices that have to run somewhere. And so if you look at you know, Dell, one of our hardware providers, they are building these new eight-way GPU servers specifically for high-density generative AI workloads. Well, a fully configured rack of those servers is going to require about 70 kilowatts of power. That is a lot of power and will require, correspondingly, a lot of cooling. So when you're going to do those kinds of racks at scale, 70 kilowatts a rack times 100 racks or whatever it is, now you have a massive deployment that's going to require liquid cooling of some sort in order to do that. And so there's a huge rush to do these massive deployments of AI all over the place. AI companies are consuming all of the available high-density data center space in the country as fast as they can. There's not really anything left right now. There are certainly data centers that have, like, you might hear, oh, hey, this one data center over here has 30 megawatts. Well, that's great, but it only has crack units for cooling inside. It's not going to be able to cool this. So we have to retrofit that facility in order to do liquid cooling. Okay, that with the current supply chain issues, that's at least a year and a half out if you start yesterday. So we are under construction in all of these markets specifically to handle this massive rush of data center consumption by the AI companies. And so my big warning right now, what I am preaching to the heavens right now is if you are not currently planning for what you need from a data center perspective over the next two years, if you're not planning today for what you need two years from now, you will not get it. Because and you're two, these, year, you're two years out right now as far as construction about, goes? Well, about a, a year and a half from the next sectors opening yeah. up in a couple of different cities. 
But everyone in our industry is doing the same thing. Everyone is scrambling to build more high-density data center space. But the AI companies and the big cloud companies are consuming those data centers as well before the concrete is even poured. So please don't wait. If you need data center space in the next couple of years, plan for that today. Sign for it today, even if you're not going to need it for the next couple of years. Because otherwise, when it all comes online, it's going to be consumed. It's going to be gone. And is this new? Is this different than the consumption behavior and trends that have been in the past? AI is, is completely changing how yes. data centers are being consumed? Yes. It is. I wouldn't say completely changing. I would say completely accelerating how data centers are being consumed. It is changing some of the architecture of the facilities. You know, some of our facilities are going to be 100% liquid cooled to handle this type of demand because, and we actually went private at the end of last year because in order to enter into this massive growth phase, you know, it's very hard to do that as a publicly traded company. The market typically doesn't like it when you start spending a lot of money on growth. But also, so many of the other data center companies in our industry have done the same thing. We are all in a massive growth phase to handle what's happening right now. Oh, and so from a transformation perspective, because you have sort of this big idea of sort of what is a sustainable business. It's ESG, it's environmental, it's climate change, it's stewards of the Earth's resources, but also it's differentiation. It's being competitive in the marketplace. And so you're in a position too where you're seeing all the different components within the services you provide needing to be provided to companies so they become holistically sustainable. And how are you working with the large companies who are trying to move in that direction, trying to have all those things be a part of what they do? Are you partnering with them? Are you helping them go on that journey and saying, this is how Switch did it? This is either how you can partner with us or how you can do it yourself? Is that kind of the way that you're interfacing with some of these companies? Yeah, I would definitely say it's from a partnership perspective. You know, one of the things we asked FedEx, for instance, because FedEx's CIO, Rob Carter, has a, what he calls a 0 50 strategy. Yeah, I actually he, talked to Rob last year. It was yeah, great. He's, he's awesome. Great. I always tell him he's the second coolest CIO in the world. <laughs> the second coolest CIO. <laughs> yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah, and he laughs and says the opposite. <laughs> but so he has what he calls a 0 50 50 strategy. So he wants FedEx to own and operate zero enterprise corporate data centers. He says, I don't want us to be in the data center business anymore. That's not my thing. You know, FedEx's thing is delivering packages. So, okay, great. So let's focus on that. He's the edge. Yeah. So, so 50 50. Now that means he wants 50% of their data to go into multiple clouds. So they have a multi cloud strategy there. And then the other 50% of their data is the data that is the most important to them, the stuff that they don't want to trust to the clouds. They want to own and operate that themselves on their servers. All of that is running at switch. And so zero owned and operated data centers, 50% into multi-cloud strategy and 50% co-located at Switch. And so when we started partnering with them, you know, 50% of FedEx's data is now running at Switch. That's a lot of their data. That's a lot of servers that are now running on a zero carbon footprint. So what we asked Rob and his team is, let's take that calculation of how much power you're using and figure out how much jet fuel does that offset for you? when you have all these planes flying around all over the world. You know what I mean? And so that number continues to change as they use more and more of our power, as they close down these data centers and move more gear into switch. And if they run at clouds that are also running at switch on a zero carbon footprint, they get to count that as well. Were they thinking about that in the beginning no. or was that's what you brought to that's them? That's what we brought to them. Yeah. And yeah. so that changed the conversation. How did they respond to that? Oh, they loved it. I mean, it's great, <laughs> right? You know, they, they just became a whole bunch more sustainable and they didn't have to do anything to get there, that's right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty cool thing because we have, you know, we have several of the large cloud providers as our clients. And so they get to also say that those particular deployments that run at Switch are on 100% clean energy. And we don't believe in greenwashing, you know, and Greenpeace doesn't believe in that either. So we are not buying dumped recs in other states that where 
where the electrons have no chance of ever reaching our facilities. We are buying direct from clean energy providers in every city in which we operate. And it's actually one of the biggest criteria we have for site selection. Can we get 100% clean energy in that space? Yeah, interesting. There was a, an idea too, where we were talking about why some transformations are failing. And I know we haven't talked about it in this conversation, but I wanted to bring it that idea why transformations fail, because what you're talking about here is a different a mind shift in the way that companies are approaching the way in which they're delivering value from a technology perspective. And are you seeing now in the conversations you have, the partnerships you have, a risk of companies potentially failing from transformation or differentiation if they're not taking this approach that you're taking FedEx on. Yeah. If they're not going in that direction, now they're starting to be at risk of whatever transformation comes up next, whether it's AR or anything else, if they're not taking this ESG strategy, sustainability strategy, is that now putting them at much greater risk of failing in that transformation? Yeah, so interesting you asked that. So we, we have seen this particular scenario play out many times. So I will be standing in front of a customer with nine or 10, let's say 10 people from that company. And I'm talking to them about the telecom cooperative and that it could save them all this money, put a ton of money back in the budget, potentially make their entire data center deployment free, all of these great, wonderful things. Nine of those 10 people will be leaning forward like, oh my gosh, you can put all this money back into the budget that's going to pay for all the hardware I need to buy or pay for all the VMware services I need to buy. You know, this is great. But there's one person sitting there with his arms crossed, his legs crossed, and a scowl in his face. The detractor. And, and I can tell you, I can spot them with the body language exactly who's going to be the roadblock in the process. Because a lot of times there is someone there who this is very threatening to them. They feel like, oh, wait a minute, I was never able to get us those types of rates. I'm in procurement, for instance. I'm going to look bad, right? Because I wasn't. And we say, no, you, you wouldn't have been able to get these savings because you weren't a member of a $7 trillion buying cooperative. Now you're going to be you take it and run it up the flagpole and tell everybody what you did and all the savings yes. you brought. We, we don't care, right? You take it and champion it up the flagpole. Or what? another thing that we see sometimes, and I'll pick on AT&T here because they're just always the worst, is, you know, someone at this company will have a really good relationship with their AT&T rep and they get taken golfing and they get going to shows and they go on vacations and they don't want any of that messed with. Whatever the reason is, maybe they're just afraid of change or it's going to threaten what they feel like they control, this little fiefdom that they have within the company. And so they roadblock it. And so what we do is if the C-level executives want to do this audit and want to see if the telecom cooperative can save them money, we ask for their sponsorship. Okay, I'm asking you, Mr. CFO or CEO or CIO or whatever it is, or Mrs., excuse me, if we run into a roadblock on your team, I need your sponsorship that I can come back to you and say, hey, we're having a challenge here. Can you help us solve it? And so they have to sponsor that effort so that we can then come back to them. And they'll swear up and down, oh, you're not going to have any problem with my team. And we go, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, I already <laughs> saw, I already know who on your team is going to be the challenge because I saw that in the meeting. So McKinsey's data says that over 70% of digital transformations fail because of resistance from employees. And so we have seen that play out so many times. And so when companies want to do, when C-level executives want to do digital transformation, it is a necessity that they have buy-in from the team. It is a necessity that they figure out, am I making sure that these employees don't feel fear because of this change? Am I making sure that they still feel valued? Am I making sure that I'm assigning the right tasks to the right people? Am I sure that they're not so afraid of the complexity of this change that they're not even going to do it? So I mean, one of our large customers who, after we went through the telecom audit, it was determined that we could probably reduce their bill by about $50 million day one. 
one of their employees held that up for an entire year. And the CIO had to launch an internal investigation to figure out where the bottleneck was. And it turns out it was just one employee doing everything that she could to derail this project because she felt like it was a threat to her. So she cost the company $50 million. Yeah, fear, so we, ego, advantage. Yeah, and and we, you know, we did our talk on stage yesterday and we did the word cloud and we asked everybody in the audience what did they think was the biggest barrier to innovation? And the, the biggest number one thing was culture. And the second biggest thing was people. people. Wasn't it amazing? It was amazing. And so we, we and see so this. And so people see this. Mm-hmm. They see that people are, it's not like technology, it's not procurement, it's not some systems, it's not some back end, anything. That's right. Not necessarily legacy is up there and there's some other things there, but people, culture. Yes. Right in the center. Yes, and it's it's on us. It's up to us because if our people are feeling fear, if they're resisting the change, that means that we have not done our jobs, right? We have not led them to a place where they can embrace this change, feel good about this change, feel like they're still bringing value to the team, feel assured that the future is good because of this change, all of those things. Like That's on us. You know, if our employees are resisting, we haven't done the right work. Yeah, it takes more than a PowerPoint slide at the town hall to Absolutely. be able to get everybody on board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You actually have to do the hard work of rolling up your sleeves, getting to know people what they are, who they are, where they are, what they need, and be able to provide them what they need so that they feel like they're succeeding with whatever, whether it's this $50 million savings project, they need to feel like they're part of the winning team and not something that's threatening them. That's so right. that's tough. So what about the future? So what do you see what's happening next? I mean, you're already kind of seeing two years out that you know hopefully those data centers will be built two years out and be able to you know meet the capacity. What other things besides meeting capacity, meeting demand, do you see emerging out of what's happening right now? Well, you know, one thing that's important to mention is all the extreme weather that's happening. That's going to continue. So that is really going to continue to force IT people and technical leaders to say, is our infrastructure actually safe? like physically safe where it is, you know, because there, there's, there's a lot going on out there that's kind of alarming, you know, as far as where we're headed with the climate. California just got a hurricane. We haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> you know, we always say out of all the natural disasters, hurricanes are the, the easiest because it's like being stalked by a turtle. I, I mean, love that, you, I love you that analogy. <laughs> like you see it, so the turtle's coming. Yeah. It's dangerous, but yeah, you see it's right over there. It's moving slowly. Yeah, okay, let's we prepare. Know okay, yeah. we have time, okay. you know. You can't so, move the data center, but at least right. you can prepare the data That's center. right, that's right. So, but that, that's what we do. You know, we think about those things all the time. We think about natural disasters. We think about civil unrest. You know, we think about pretty much anything that could possibly damage us from any way, shape or form. You know, and once in a while, I'll get a question from a, a client and they'll say, they're really just trying to find a hole in your armor somewhere, you know? And so they said, well, what if a, a, a nuclear bomb hits one of your facilities? What will you do? And I said, well, I'm probably going to die. <laughs> I currently I have we'll, no alternative We'll probably plans, moving to Canada. You know? I think the, the data center uptime is yeah. probably not going to be on the I top like of your list. I feel like we have bigger problems <laughs> at that point if something happens. But at the end of the day, the best business plan is always going to be to have multiple copies of your data in separate geographic regions in case, God forbid, the unthinkable happens. The meteor comes from space, whatever. Exactly. So I think all these components too really come into the big idea of what is a sustainable business mean or what does it mean to be a sustainable business these days? And it's not just being a great steward of the environment. It's all these different things now from differentiation to de-risking to making sure that you're keeping, you know, your operations future-proofed, focusing on what your business is good at versus what someone else is good at. So that whole idea of sustainable business now is, I think, really, I think Switch really represents all the different components of, you know, what that really means. And so as we look out in the future, I'm glad, Missy, you're there 
in mm. the data center, making Thanks. sure that the right thing's being done. Thanks. Where can people go out, find more about you, what you're doing, engage with you, whether it's in the real world or the metaverse? Where, where can people find you? Absolutely. So they can find our company at switch.com and they can find me, missy at switch.com and they can find me on social media at missy byte, B-Y-T-E. And so M-I-S-S-Y, B-Y-T-E, that comes from my avatar. My avatar's name is Byte. So years Bites. ago when we were a smaller company, <laughs> Rob had hired a comic book artist to draw all of us on staff. This is when we were way smaller. I've always wanted to so, do that. Yeah. I keep, there's the lines always too long and I never get my chance. Well, he it, <laughs> well he worked for us. He was actually on staff. So we all, all of our characters had backstories and he would have comic books made of our characters in action, saving the internet oh and all goodness, this. And our business cards had the picture of our avatar on the back. Do you have a TikTok oh, channel? <laughs> no, no, Instagram, but not TikTok. There you go. There's only so much media or social media I can handle. Like when Threads came about, I'm like, oh, oh. my gosh, I oh, yeah. can't. Remember so Threads? Many, like, yeah, I know, remember, <laughs> remember threads. threads. It was cool for like a minute. Oh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, so. That's <laughs> like, like 360 house. million users down to 36 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so. Excellent. Well, Missy, thank you for joining the Seahawks. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.